This episode of the Buffalonian Podcast is brought to you by the Cast Source Podcast Network, a podcast network built with and for entrepreneurs. We cover many genres, including sports, business, mental health, marketing, and entertainment. We feature the podcast shows such as Sports Bring People Together, Limitless, Saviors of the Metaverse, and The Athletic Mindset. Learn more at castsource.com slash podcasts. And without further ado, let's get into the Buffalonian Podcast. The Buffalo Bills take home the turkey on Thanksgiving Day. And the Sabres have a pretty solid week, but unfortunately choke in overtime. Along with some Would You Rather, Hot Takes Trivia, and more, this is the Buffalonian Podcast. All right, let's go. We are back with the Buffalonian podcast. I'm Joe Callie, and I am joined today by Dom Loss. Fortunately, no Mike Marino. Hopefully, he's back with us tomorrow, but for the betting on the Bills. But without further ado, Kiko, good Thanksgiving day for us as Bills fans here. What do you what do you say? I mean, we we did it. We we beat the Detroit Lions second time in Detroit, you know, that that week, and we took the dub. Yeah, first time since the 2016 Lions at the back-to-back wins in Detroit, so it's always nice. It's always nice to win the NFL. Um, it's always nice to know that you won, but you didn't play your best football. So there's a lot, uh, you know, to work on. And obviously, they have another short week this week uh, in New England. Well, technically, a full week. Technically, technically a full week, but mm-hmm. NFL schedule wise, they have a, they're on a Thursday again. So we don't don't yeah. don't don't reap the benefits of uh, playing on Thursday and getting the ten day break. But ne- next week we'll get the mini buy. Yeah, yeah, no, and New England's going to be a big game. We'll talk about that later this week. But this, the Bills Lions game, like you said, the Lions were on a three game win streak before this game, and they they played like they should have been. I mean, they played solid, and it took a lot to beat them, in my opinion. And the Bills, we did. I mean, it was it was a little bit little bit tight in some spots, I will say. But I mean, a lot was good. And even with an injured defense, we didn't even have Epinesa for this game, you know, as an edge rusher and Von Miller was lost in the game. I mean, we'll talk about that in a little bit here, but we ended up pulling out the victory here and, you know, took down that team in a hot three game win streak. Like you said, haven't been, hasn't been since what the 2016 season. 2016 lines up. There's been back to back games, one Detroit. So yeah, no, it's, it's a solid result. Um, The process probably isn't, to the Bills' standards of mm-hmm. they didn't play great football, but yeah. the Lions, I think, are a solid football team. Well, they're a good football team, but at the end of the day, it's hard to win, especially on the road in the NFL and especially on a short week of all the things that the Extremely Bills are dealing week. with. <laughs> yeah, and it's, a, what, their third game in, what, two and a half, week and a half? Yeah, second straight away game, too, technically. I mean, not really, but... Yeah, I mean it's it, it's difficult to come off of, you know, the two game losing streak. The way they lost those two games, after blowing that home game, you then have don't have the luxury of having another you know home game. You had to go on the road again to Detroit with all the stuff that's went out with the snow, and then you had to play a tough Browns team get the win there. And then you're on a short week, so it's definitely been, I would say, a challenging, challenging couple, really challenging 
last couple of months, you know, last month, I should say, for for the Bills. And at the end of the day, they're probably right where they want to be at eight and three, knocking on the door uh, to potentially host a, a home playoff game. And again, there's a lot to improve on. A lot of things went wrong in this game, and there's a lot of things that the Bills probably want to have back, but at the end of the day, you'd rather get the win than lose. So. Yeah, right. A win's a win, no matter how ugly it is. That's how I've been looking at it. And, you know, there were there were moments in that game where I, I was like, oh, the Lions are going to do it. You know, they're coming back. But, I mean, a, a win's a win, no matter how ugly it is. But if if you had to say, if you had to take a look at the game, who overall for you was, who stepped up and, like, did what they needed to do to get that win for the Bills? Well, I think, you know, we, we've I mistakenly forgot to mention him on, on last week's edition of the podcast <laughs> of at Oliver, Mr. Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, he always seems to have a big game on Thanksgiving. Obviously, he had the strip sack and stack and that game against New Orleans last year. Mm-hmm. He was he was, he was big. He was really big. He was a difference maker defensively, obviously, getting the safety, but couple, multiple times on the goal line, making really crucial pressures on Jared Goff. And obviously, he forces the fumble. To kind of kill some of the lions when went to man recovers on the own fumble to be so again it was he at re- Alva really stepped up especially when they lost Vaughn of yeah that guy in the middle of that defense um, to not only stop the run but get to Jared Goff and put pressure on Jared Goff and he was big I think Isaiah McKenzie had a really nice game I thought they had yeah. some nice touch for him too you know and. Um, Nice little touchdown. Looks like the same play against Seattle. Man coverage just ran the over route, and I think believe he had five catches for ninety three yards and a touchdown. It was obviously his best game of the year. I think. Mm-hmm. I think there was really close. He had a good game against Baltimore. Obviously Miami, another kind of man coverage type team. And I mean, we're not going to you know say too much about tomorrow's pod, but another man coverage team in the Patriots. I, I expect him to kind of have a, a maybe yeah. possibly similar impact, but. He had, a, he had a big game, and they definitely needed him to have one, seeing that Diggs was a little quiet until the end of the fourth quarter. They didn't really utilize Knox. Davis had a pretty solid game. I wouldn't say he was great. I mean, he obviously had no. that. Yeah, it wasn't anything spectacular. It was just kind of there. He, was, he had a couple of nice plays. And obviously, Josh was a little off. Um, I don't. I think that was a little bit of the elbow. I think maybe the elbow is bothering him more than you know they're really letting on. Mm-hmm. Um. And at the end of the day, they got the win, and those guys played big for them. And obviously, you know, they needed every yard, every – I mean, they really need every yard because I don't know how long, much longer that field goal would have been good if they didn't. Yeah. So, Yeah, no, and um, I, I would definitely agree with you. Isaiah McKenzie, for me, was the big, big uh, who-stepped-up guy. Um, especially, a lot of people are saying – it's that similar type of, like you said, man coverage. Like when he really, really excelled in that Patriots game, December 26th of last season, the day after Christmas, where he was the huge like X factor in that win. And I think we're going to see that again coming up here against Belichick this coming week, not to spoil next pod, but I mean, he was, he, to me was the the big, big key to success on the offense. Cause he really did. He stepped up when other guys were quiet and it was a pre- pretty nice touchdown and a couple nice catches on his end, you know, to really keep it in, you know, perspective, but digs also that last catch, that last throw to get them in a field goal range there. Um, Allen really, you know, big time playmakers, big, big time plays. And that was a saving grace kind of a play to get in the field goal range and just ice it right there and uh, let T bass number two, do his thing. They did. 
the NFL, for some reason, when he missed an extra point, put a, the graphic of Dan Carpenter smacking the helmet on the on their Instagram. I was like, that media team is a couple years behind. Uh, that's the wrong number two for the Bills. But I would definitely say Isaiah McKenzie was definitely the, the standout. But if you had to pick someone who really, really just stunk, who really stunk, who would it be? Well, I think this is the third week in a row that a number one wide receiver, you know, we, we talked about earlier in the year how good of a job the Bills were doing against the number ones, um, really limiting their touches and their impact on the game. But this is the third week in a row with Je- you know Jefferson against the Vikings, Cooper had a nice game with the Browns, and then Amara St. Brown um, this weekend had a nice game. I think that falls on the defensive scheme. And, I mean, I think sometimes – I don't think – you know, they made good plays. And I think they were in good position sometimes at defensive backs, but at some point or another, you, you got to eventually turn around and make a play. You know, you can have sticky good coverage as much as you want, but right. I mean, a catch is a catch. And if you can't turn around and break up the ball, you got to find someone else who can. Um, so that, I think that was a little confusing why they didn't bring up Xavier Rhodes um, from the fact of if they were only going to play Trey White the first two series of the game and if they were only going to use Kyrie Elam very limitedly. Um, it seems like that was kind of a, an odd thing to do. Obviously, now Benford being injured, he get signed to the fifty-three man roster. So that was, I think that was odd. I think that was disappointing that you know they let the one target that the Lions consistently have go off. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would say just offensively, just the line was really bad. Yeah, and very bad. Allen, Allen was off again. I think some of that has to do with the elbow. But I mean, Grant, they lost Deion Dawkins. You can't. You know, foresee that you lose your franchise left tackle. Yeah. Um, and Clessonberry is just kind of a replacement level tackle. But and then I don't think Ryan Bates is particularly great in the middle. I know he was having to play a different position than he normally plays. And then Greg Vedron is just pretty bad. And you had to put him in a <laughs> yeah. right guard. And then Spencer Brown, just the I don't know what to tell you at this point. He was really bad again. Four pressures allowed. Something like around there. I think he had maybe four hurry, seven pressures in a sack. Like he was just really bad. And he got dominated the whole game at right tackle. And it's starting to become a situation where, you know, you got like a Dawkins when he comes back at left tackle, does Questenberry move over to be that starting right tackle instead of Spencer Brown? Because I don't think Spencer Brown's warranted the playing time he's getting right now just by performance. I think it would be by draft pick. So he's been pretty bad. And so the offensive line was pretty inconsistent. And um, yeah, it was a struggle. It's number one. I would also say James Cook was pretty mediocre. Um, you know, they had he had that miscommunication with Josh that could have led to an interception, and he was kind of just hit and miss. I'd also say just the red zone play calling needs to be better. Um, you know, they got a little lucky of Josh fumbling that snap, so he was able to run that ball in for the touchdown. And that interception really falls on the I don't know if it's a great play by the linebacker, you got to give them credit, but it also falls to this offense as being a little bit too predictable. And yeah. the RPO, they've consistently ran the red zone. They got to you know, be more creative, be more unique in the red zone. Teams are going to know what's coming. And it seemed like the Lions had a pretty, you know, credit to them for being there. But that was just a lack of creativity and completely really shifted the game. Yeah, no, I would I would 100% agree with you. Uh, for me, it was the red zone, red zone offense. I, I couldn't really grasp what was happening. I, I think we're missing Brian Dable at this point because he was, he had some cute little trick plays. He had like John Brown's throwing Josh Allen a touchdown in the red zone. You know what I mean? Like there was nothing like that going on. You you've seen Allen throw these interceptions in the red zone these past couple of weeks. 
where he's trying to hit Knox. And, and it's just like, I don't know, like defenses are, are reading right through it. They know where to go. They know where to go to the ball. And I, I think they just, like you said, need to be more creative. There's not much going on that's going to throw anyone off or be shifty. And that's one thing you see even Dable doing in New York still. He's still running his offense like that. You know what I mean? I, I just feel like Ken Dorsey's missing a little bit of that flair that Dable had. But, I mean, he's solid. I'm not going to sit here and say he's awful. But he definitely got to get a little more creative if you want to sway these defenses in a different direction and get these red zone touchdowns, you know? Well, I think they got to do a better job of, I think, putting more motion in the offense Mm because motion helps anyone. And then also play action. Um, You use more play action. Josh, very good in play action. It'll help out the offensive linemen to get those D linemen just a little bit of hesitation uh, to hang on for that extra half second. So I think just adding more of those type of plays because those are usually, uh, you know, giving Josh more layups, again, as we talked about. Like, if they could do that, Mm -hmm. it'd be more – you know, emotion based play action offense, they should be good. And well, right, right now, we're not seeing a, right now, it just seems like it's just a struggle. It's just a mm-hmm. struggle to do stuff. And you know, you get to second two, and then it's all of a sudden it's third and two, and it's like, I don't even know if they're gonna be able to pick this up. Yeah, you don't, you don't really yeah. have the confidence right now. And the off, and yeah, you know, they're tops, they're top, you know, top ranked offenses in the league and a lot of statistics, but. You don't get that feel when they step on the field that they're one of the mm-hmm. top offenses in the league right now, just because obviously Josh is a little bit banged up, the play calling's a little bit off, and it just seems like I don't know, I don't know if they lost their swagger per se, but it seems like they don't have that that it factor that they had in the beginning of the year to go out and dominate. Yeah, it's like that second Austin Powers movie, man, where he loses his mojo. They got to get it back somehow, you know. But um... <laughs> never watched that movie. <laughs> You've never seen? All... Okay, well you got to watch all three of those. They're pretty funny. They're good. They're... Mike Myers, good movies, but. Yeah, I mean, like you said, the play action is easy because then he hangs back and people think he's going to run. Like it, it gives that extra, like you said, RPO. And it's you have three options. You have him running, the running back running, or him throwing. So it just it adds that, like, okay, linebacker is going to stay back. I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know if they need to run on more RPOs. I think they run, you know, fine on RPOs. I just think it's just regular play action be fine by me. I mean, yeah. I think the RPO is a little bit predictable at this point for this offense and they gotta find a way to diversify that Mm -hmm. all right no i mean and one 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 big thing to take away from this game is von miller was carted off the field and i don't know it it, right now they're saying he's definitely not playing this week we figured that i mean i kind of figured that when it was a knee injury um but do you know anything about anything further i haven't really seen anything uh is it indefinitely he's out for a number of weeks or is it is it kind of just in the now kind of a deal? I think they're keeping it pretty close to the vest, but I think at this point, obviously he's missing this week. I think they said at the time he was going to take seven to ten days to get the knee swelling to go down. I don't think they were able to get, um, you know, clear images of right how to recover from that. Um, so and I mean, sometime after this week, we're gonna figure out can he play through it? Can he not play through it? I mean, it seems the at least the most important thing at the time is that it seems like he's avoided an ACL tear. And yeah, now yeah. just a matter of he probably may have tore his meniscus, which would be a you know a long process. Or does he have a partial tear? I, I'm not like well versed in this, but if he can be able yeah. to somehow, you know, be able to maybe recover in a couple of weeks and be back by the last week of the season, they need to win to get in, or is you know is it that situation where he's out for the year? I mean, if he could somehow come back for the crunch time and just had to wear a brace and had to have surgery after the year, I think that's mm-hmm. the best case scenario right now for the Bills. 
Um, and you, you see the Bills' schedule, and they have four divisional games left, but three of them are at home. They got to go play Chicago, who without Justin Fields doesn't seem that daunting as a, of a task at this point. And then right. they got to play in Cincinnati, which is going to be a hard game. So, you know, if you look at it and think maybe if they could somehow work a way to, you know, 11 wins and maybe he doesn't have to come back. I don't know. It, it all matters with what happens, I think, in these next couple of weeks to see what happens against Miami. I think that might be for the division. So, we'll see. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it is. It's tough to see. Especially a guy we we went out and we got to go to the playoffs with and win the Super Bowl with, you know, like for this, we got him for the purpose of going there. So it would be it'd be pretty bad if he couldn't come back and play, especially because he is so dominant and he is the closer, as they call him. You know, he, he closes out games and he's dominant on on the the D line. He's that edge rusher that everyone would want on their team. So it it, it is going to be tough to play without him. But do you, is there? I mean, is is Trey not Trey White? Is Greg Russo, is he out for a considerable amount of time still, or is that still close to the best two, do you know? No, Epinesa and Russo have returned to practice, and they've been full participants the last two days, and Sean right. McDermott said that they're, you know, at the right direction. So if they play this week, we'll see. I mean, hopefully they do. I think that's what really magnifies this loss uh, for the Bills. But if they can able to get those two guys back, I think right. they have enough talent in the room overall in the D-line to, when I mean, they got everyone still in the interior all healthy the time being so and it's because it's gonna be a next man up mentality but they have <laughs> enough talent to you know get those guys back and healthy and um yeah i mean it was tough to see him go down um happy that he avoided the acl so it doesn't impact next year yeah um but at this point it's just a kind of a it's a guessing game and i don't like guessing games so we're just gonna wait and see uh but it was nice it was nice to see uh you know everyone support him and him to see be in good graces. And it's also nice to see a fellow Buffalo player return to the field from an ACL. Yeah. Actually, Vaughn doesn't have that. He had one earlier <laughs> in his career, but you know, Trey Wright returns. That was pretty solid, a little rusty. Right. Um, wasn't really targeted, but it was nice to see him get some snaps. I think maybe that was always the game plan. Always interesting that they decided to bring him back uh, in Detroit on that turf. Yeah. Um, on but, Thanksgiving. Yeah. But it was good to see him back out there. Hopefully, you know, they give him a longer, I mean, I'm not hopefully, I think they are going to give him a longer leash uh, this yeah. week, especially against more of a run first team. I think they're going to try and see, you know, if he's able to get that part of his game back. And it was good to have him back out there. It's nice having your number one corner out there. You know, yeah. for two series. Yeah. Even, even just for that little bit. I mean, we have to realize too, this is kind of like, quote-unquote preseason for him he's got to get he's got to dip his foot in the pool before he jumps in you know what I mean and get work his way back up to where he was and you know that injury is as we know I mean we don't know we've never experienced it but I mean it's it's really really difficult to come back from uh especially mentally going back out on turf after you know that being the the big reason that it got injured in the first place like that that's pretty it's pretty daunting um but I, yeah, like you said, it was good to just see him back out there and doing something, just being, you know, out there with the team and leading that defense. So, yeah, I mean, and speaking of returns, uh, we got what we got one more old Buffalo Bill coming back. Uh, John Brown has been signed to the practice squad. Uh, it's very that, that that made me smile a little bit. I'm going to be honest with you. I missed that that celebration in the end zone where he fl- flails his arms all over the place, you know, Um but yeah, that was 
it, it's really cool to see. I mean, he was he was solid for us for all those years that we had him early in Josh's career. Josh knows him. I think that's great. They have good chemistry that he's played well. But what do you think this means for the OBJ rumors? Do you think this means anything like like we're not going after him? Like we picked up no, John Brown. I don't think this means anything. No, I mean, I still I still think the Bills are the mix. I think right now the Cowboys are probably the favorites to land OBJ. But I, I think John Brown comes in to fill a gap for wide receiver five. Obviously, they've been calling up Tanner Gentry. And I think they wanted someone with a little bit more experience to come in. Obviously, Josh trusts him. I think that's mm-hmm. really important. I don't think, you know, I don't think Shakir really has the trust of Josh. I don't really even think McKenzie really has the trust of Josh. But I know, jo- I know Josh trusts John Brown. And if he can, you know, He's only played 33 snaps the last two years, um, but if he can somehow, you know, still have enough juice left where he could, you know, defenses would have to respect him, and you know, they're worried about him taking the top off the defense. It allows you know Gabe Davis to focus maybe a little bit more on the intermediate, Dawson Knox, Diggs. Yeah. You know, it'll open up everything for everything else. I don't think he's going to be a big contributor. Like I don't think he's no. going to come in and try and be wide receiver three. I think he's going to be wide receiver five. That's going to play about 10, 12 snaps maybe and just trying to be a deep threat. Maybe he catches one, but maybe he's more of just a just a kind of a player to, you know, be a decoy and help get other people and, you know, allow the stress of the other people to focus on other things in the receiver room. Yeah. No, I mean, I 100% agree. He's just got to, you know, fit in, do what he can, and do what's best for this offense, and that's just kind of be a be – a, just core wide receiver, not, not top, not putting up all that yardage, but you know, just, just be there, be pro be, be productive when, when he's asked to, I think that's the biggest thing at this point, but. Yeah. It's, it's, it's nice to have another friend in the room that's been, has playoff experience with this squad. Yeah. And it's, listen, he's a, he's a solid player. Again, we, it's kind of an unknown at this point, how much juice he has left, but I mean, they've worked up, they worked out with four wide receivers, including J.D. Nelson, who's ex-teammate in Arizona, who's kind of a speed threat. So they obviously were looking for some kind of speed threat. And, I mean, he obviously got signed. So yeah, they, yeah. they must be okay with how much juice he has left. And it's good to see uh, It's good to see Smoke back. Yeah, buddy. You know it. Got to gotta love the, the old guys coming back in for the, the ring. You know what I mean? Hopefully, crossing our fingers here, these divisional games are going to be big coming up here. But... Before we move into our Sabres topic, I just want to bring up the Sports Bring People Together podcast. Listen for entrepreneurial conversations with those in sports, and who knows where the chats will take you, but sports got us together in the first place. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts, or simply visit sportseplus.com. Now, Dom, let's get into the Sabres right now. I mean, last night, yeah, he's got the goat head hat on. Rocking it, rocking it. <laughs> last night, the Sabres unfortunately <laughs> lost to Tampa Bay in overtime. But other than that, they have had a solid week. What do you think so far? Yeah, I mean, going 2-1-1, getting five points out of eight, you know, it was a really solid result from a team that was on an eight-game losing streak. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so any points was nice. Um, but it's still a little frustrating knowing that they should have had six. And I think it's, you know, it's a little bit hard to realize that, you know, the first two games they won, what, 7-2 and 6-2 in the week um, to then lose in relation to a really tough New Jersey team that battled really hard, but then to yeah. blow a two goal lead late at home to only get one point. So it's kind of a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's a positive week for the Sabres. It's their first positive week in 
maybe Long a time. month. So, yeah, a month. <laughs> so I don't think you could be, you know, too upset as a fan, but I think it's, I mean, that's pretty, pretty annoying. The fact of how they, how they just absolutely just, I mean, it's, it's a bad loss. I mean, Tampa is a solid team. Yeah. You know, they're one of the best teams in the entire NHL, but I mean, they dominated them and they deserve to win. Right. Right up. So. Yeah, to lose uh, the 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 lead on that and then have them win in overtime, that's definitely a sour taste in the mouth. I mean, I I just like to see them hang around with these teams. I knew the Devils that wasn't going to be any good uh, because they're the number one team in hockey, I would say at this point, even though I hate the Devils. But uh, they played a good game against the, the Canadians, the Blues, and the Lightning, too. They played a good game. They just didn't execute in the end and lost the lead. Yeah, I think they played really well through the four games. Even even in the New Jersey game, I don't I don't, I don't know if I would consider playing well, but I think they battled against and they were challenging against right. a very tough New Jersey team. Obviously, falling behind that game two zero, making it two one. Anderson, you know, it was pretty good the whole night, but gives a, a relatively you know a soft goal. Mm-hmm. Not relatively, it was a soft goal, and the third goal really broke the momentum. <laughs> yeah, um, and they just weren't able to recover from that. And then, you know, just a really, you know, UPL played really well. I thought against the blues in that game, but mm-hmm. the lightning game is just unacceptable. I mean, you can't give up that many. I mean, you really can't give up that many goals. I mean, six no. goals, a lot of goals. And it, it, it's funny to say that you know, the Sabres scored five goals, but the, um, the goaltender Brian Elliott actually had a positive goal saved above expected. So that's, that tells you how great the Sabres were offensively in that game that, you know, in all situations, they were expected to score 5.23 goals to, the Lightning's 3.65. And to lose that game, especially when you also then dominate five, I mean, that also, you know, that takes apart special teams and stuff. But if you take that out, yeah. they even dominate more in five and five. They get up three power play goals. So the special teams really let down, really let down the Sabres um, again. And it, it is just an incredibly frustrating um, situation being that, you know, they play, they've been playing average five on five hockey. And the reason why they're losing games is, Coaching, coaching. I mean, it it comes down, it comes yeah. down to coaching at the end of the day. Why they're losing some of these games? As much as you hate to say it, because I I do like Granado, a good developmental coach. You're you're right though. It does come down to coaching at the end of the day. A lot of these decisions that have been made, serious question marks around. <laughs> it was swirling around my head sometimes. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it, I don't know. Like a lot of these, like we were we were talking line line decisions these past few weeks, like. I don't know. It's just it's it's interesting because he's great at developing players, but now we're starting to see some faults. I think when trying Cracks to get this team armor. up and running, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's frustrating from the fact of you know, first off, Tyson Yovs has been an excellent claim. He's mm-hmm. played very strong, yeah, fourth line center role. He's played very well and deserves to be in the lineup. And you look at it as okay, so you have a you know the Sabers have always consistently had a pretty solid fourth line. You know, from the log line of Larson. Oposo Gergensen's like they've always had a pretty solid fourth line. So then they have another solid fourth line on the jog line, you know, Yost, uh, Oposo and Gergensen's. And then the you know, last year they did a good job developing a top line of Thompson, Tuck, and Skinner. And this yeah. year I think you found a bread and butter in the second line of Cousins, Paterka, Quinn. And they've, I mean, we'll talk about them in a second, but they've been terrific. Yeah. And then you just kind of have a black hole in your third line. <laughs> So I mean, it's nice yeah. to know that the, you know they they have a solid fourth line. They have a very good top, and they have a solid top six now for the first time in since the Lindy Ruff era. But at the end of the day, when you have a third line that's just a complete black hole, I guess K. Dinner it's ridiculous. Um, 
you know, we talked about the Montreal game. They win that Montreal game 7-2. to two. The expected mm-hmm. goals for for the majority of players are positive, above 50%. A lot of players are above 80%. I believe the f- top two lines are all above 80%. I mean, the, the third line at that point was Henestrosa, Olsen, Milstadt. Henestrosa had a 35%, strictly because he was on ice for one of the goals. Yeah. And Olsen and Milstadt had 8%. Mm-hmm. 8, which is horrific, which is yeah. like... No, it's, I, we could go out there and do better, probably. And, and it's 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 embarrassing because you see this game against Tampa Bay, and they really dominated the game. Third period, I think Tampa had had a stronger third period than the Sabers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the Quinn Paterka Cousins line that was sixty percent above, you know, go, you know, expected goals for. Yeah, I think the other two line, uh, fourth line was around there. First line was about fifty percent, so they were by average. And then you see, you know, the Asplod, my boy can't even say the middle stat Olsen line get a 3.63%. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, and no. it, it's pathetic because you're up 5 3. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Five minutes left in the game. That line hasn't touched the ice in 10 minutes. They completely <laughs> got benched in the third period, and Don yeah. Granado gives them a shift. And what happens? They score a complete momentum shift. Now, all of a sudden, it's a one goal game. You take a stupid penalty. And they score again, and then you take another super penalty and you almost lose the game. You almost lost the game in regulation uh, because you got your momentum stopped because you put in your black hole of a third line. Yeah. So I think that was incredibly frustrating. It's just a horrific coaching move. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, can't. First to, I can't wrap my head around that. Like first I, to, yeah, I can't. First to have that line even. First to have that even as line is just terrible. Coaching. Yeah, and let alone but, in a two score game, like you always say. Two goal game in hockey is the the most dangerous. Well, it just lead. it just doesn't make a lot of sense because he knew. I mean, I guess I guess the, a, a positive of this entire week is that the Cousins, Paterka, Quinn line have seemed to be getting the second line ice time that they should be getting, and he's and Granado has at least understood that the Millsat lines are his worst line. Mm-hmm. But I just don't understand. I mean, with the top three line, other top three lines are so gassed that had they couldn't go the there. last five minutes. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm a little confused. You knew Tampa was going to push you really hard, and what what happens on that play? Puck around the corner. Steven Stankos outworks Victor Olsson, gets to the front of the net, and scores. Yeah. Like I, it's I mean you just can't have it. You just you just can't have it. No. And it, it it's it's really annoying. I mean Owen Power had one of if not the greatest offensive game from a defenseman ever. Yeah. Um, no, he's he, he's been great. He had an expected goals for. Of three point eight three, which is one of the highest ever recorded in a single game ever Holy when he was cow. on the ice. So he was I mean, he's a beast and he's arguably you can make the case he's already their best player on the team. I know it's kind of a shocking thing to say with Darlene <laughs> and yeah. how Tage is playing, but I mean No, he's making he, a difference when he plays though. It's it's not like outlandish to say that, you know. No, I I think it's one of those situations where we we when we came to the end of the year. You know, we were trying not to get so amped because it was yeah, an eight-game eight sample. sample. Yeah. First two, first you know week of the year, we're like, ah, see, like this is why we, why we had lowered expectations. But I mean, these last couple months, he's just exploded. Yeah, and it's it it is incredibly nice to see um, for this team. So I mean, look at the offensive lines. I mean, that's that's the, the, the 
One thing yeah. real fast. What's just up, just a note for our listeners out there. All those, you know, statistics and percentages you heard Dom saying, if you see them floating around on Twitter, they've been pirated from our show. We've talked about those before. So, you know, just I just want to toss that out there. You know, if you if you see them anywhere, you're here to hear first. You're here to hear first. So continue, yeah. Dom. I just want to put a little disclaimer out there. Nah, we look we look around, get, get the good <laughs> stats. But I think an interesting stat that's been, you know, presented def- on the defenseman side is the goals for goals against on five and five. Like, how are you doing? You scoring goals when you're on the ice. I know that's a little bit like plus minus, but it's kind of, you know, an interesting set to see. And a lot of, you know, the, the top dogs are all positive, even though are you, and then you get to Jacob Brayson, who's seven for 21, seven yeah. goals for 21 against. And then you get Fitzgerald, six and 11, Pilot, six and eight, Labuskin, four and six. It's bad. It's it's bad. And there's, there's definitely a situation where, you know, you got to find that depth behind power, Darlene, and obviously you have Samuelson back, so that that helps out a lot uh, in my mind. And even you know, Yoki Haru to an extent hasn't been horrific. I don't think I don't think my opinion of him saying that he's nothing more than a third pair defenseman has really changed. Yeah, um, but I think we're seeing the the magic of one Owen Power uh, to be able to kind of carry him. Yeah, his back must be hurt a little bit. Yeah, but you know. <laughs> But that's uh, this man's that's a solid second pair. That's a solid second pair, like, right? Can win it this time, but then this is again thing of you know, a little bit of coaching of like you just have a black hole in your third pair of Labuskin and Fischer. Obviously, now Labuskin's a little bit banged up, took a shot at the end of the game from Stan Coast. I think he injured his foot, maybe. I think it looked like it went off at the top of the skate. Yeah, um, so you don't, you don't know how he's banged up for, but also it's like the same thing. It's like, why are you playing Casey Fischer over Lawrence Pilot? Like, because Lawrence Pilot and Labuskin actually have pretty solid numbers together. Uh, on five on five, and, and you could shelter those three. I mean, it just it doesn't make a lot of sense that decision either. So you, know, you look at this team though, and listen, there's a lot of positives to be had, and and the the main positive that I I will say is that there are 97 defensemen. There's 97 defensemen. 97 <laughs> under 23 year old skaters in the NHL. Yeah, in goals above ex- replacement. So basically, if you want to look at goals above replacements, like your average player. Completely average. Doesn't help you. Doesn't hurt you. Kind of it's like not. I won't say black hole because black hole means really bad. Mm-hmm. But like, it's like the third line. You know what? It is? You know what's a good example? Zemmus Greensons. Not a guy that's going to do. Not not a guy that's going to really advance you. But he's not like a guy in your lineup that's going to kill you. No, he's not a hindrance. He's not a like a, an all star. But he's just kind of there. Definition of replacement. Like yeah. he doesn't like if you if you took him off your team, probably doesn't hurt you that much. If you add him on your team, probably doesn't help you that much. Right. Unless you unless you're replacing him you know, getting him from a really bad player. Yeah. Plus one, minus one. He's just zero. He's in the middle. So goals above replacement. So you want to be high. You want to have a positive goals above replacement. Rankings for the Sabres among the 97 skaters under 23 years old. Owen Power, three. Razzle Stalin, five. Jack Quinn, seven. JJ Paterka, 23. Dylan Cousins, 24. Matias Samuelson, 27. So what does that mean? That means like you have, what, you have three forwards, three defensemen. You have six guys in the top 27. Yeah, you got three guys in the top ten, two in the top five, and one of them is your nineteen-year-old defenseman. One, two of them were rookies. One's your superstar defense, and one of them's going to be your second-line center, and one's them solid top four defenseman. So if you look at that, and you go, "Wow, that's that's a really promising sign of these six guys that are so young, but they're playing it at a high level. They're playing very well, and compared to their age group, they're the top, they're tops in their age groups. They're playing very well, right? And then you add that to a Tage Thompson, who I believe is twenty-five. I got probably double check that and talk who's 26 like then you add 
those two guys. Okay, that's a nice core. Skinner, a little older, 31. But again, that's another top six forward. So you look at those guys and you say, that's my core. Now, I'm, I'm excluding Skinner because he's 31. But th- those eight guys are really my core right now. And then you got to right. figure out. And that's a good core. Like, that's a solid, that's a, that's a playoff caliber core. You can ask Skinner right now. And then, okay, so you have, you know, your Yost, Gergensen's opposed. So, okay, that, that's your fourth line. So what you got to figure out is what are the three four? You have three forward spots left. How are you going to fill those? And then you have three defensive spots. How are you going to fill those? Right? And right. Did, and then obviously goaltenders are huge, huge problem. And this yeah, is where that's the I, biggest I, problem, I, I would say. <laughs> well, this is where I, I come into the Jacob Chipperin news. Uh, Jacob Chipperin, one of probably the number one defenseman currently available. Right. Uh, the Coyotes. Of the, of the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, it's funny because Tage Thompson is from Arizona. <laughs> uh, I don't know why I saw that. Uh, so Tage is 25. I did, I did get that right. So Jacob Chifrin, obviously the top available defenseman uh, for, for good reason. You know, he's 24 years old. He's a left shot defenseman. Kim, I don't think he could really play the right side, but I don't think you're going to need him to because, you know, you already, I think Darlene's really switched over to be that right shot defenseman. I know he's left shot, left shot defenseman, but play the right side with right. Samuelson. And so the reason why Chifrin would be interesting, and it got reported that officially, not officially reported, but they're talking about him and they said the Sabres are actually considered to be a dark horse. So this is, you know, a, an actual report of the Sabres being interested in him. Obviously the Buffalo news got on it and this is a really good defenseman. He plays on a really bad team. So some of his numbers I think are really impacted by the one, the role he has to play as number one defenseman on a bad team. And two, he's on a bad team. Like when you don't play a very good player, you're not going to have very good you know, team team statistics. But when he was right. on a good, solid team, he put up really good numbers 24 has two more years after this year at $4.6 million. So his cap's really affordable. I know that's going to be a little bit interesting from the fact of his, his, his good contract doesn't really fit into the Sabres timeline of in the next two years. Are you going to be really going to win a Stanley cup? Probably not. No, I wouldn't, but, I wouldn't put any money on that. Well, that, that's why you might see them get outbid by a team like Edmonton or a team, maybe a little bit closer that, you know, that $4.6 million really helps their cap space to get a top four defenseman. But right. the Sabres have a lot to offer, I think, that are, would be interesting. You know, you have all these forward prospects. Yeah. Pick a Number four, one pick, ranked prospect pool in the NHL preseason. Pick a, pick a forward prospect that you're – the only two forward prospects that I think they should be guarding is Coolidge and Savoy. Mm-hmm. Pick anyone else. Pick one of Middlestad and Olsen, whichever one they like more. Protect <laughs> your first-round pick, and let's get this deal done. If yeah, we can get Middlestad out of here. That I to me, that's an absolute win. Well, I, I, well, this is my thought process. If you do like kind of a mitts top, even if they, even if you're like screw it, we won't do top. We won't protect our for lottery protectable top ten protected, which is a you know a low a low you know a greater chance of losing the first round pick to entice them. Yeah, and Isaac Rosine or you know Oslin, one of those you know maybe your Swedish uh, forward prospects get the deal done because what it does for you is you add a top four defenseman that now you could have your top pair of Samuels and Dalian. You could have the Yoki Haru and power pair because power is just a God. And then you have Jacob Chipperin who, yeah, people are going to look at him and be like, Oh my God, he's on the third pair. But this is a guy that can play in your power play can kill penalties has a very good shot. And it's going to probably be your third best defenseman probably on the team. I think he's going to actually be probably ahead of Matias Samuelson in my yeah. eyes, but he would be a guy that then you could have, Instead of having two pairs, 
you have three pairs that you can have out at any time. And it, just, it also right. doesn't stop you from being like, all right, we're only going to roll with in the third period, close game. Hey, we're going to roll a five defenseman and Chikrin, and you're just going to find work. Or we're going to have power Chikrin on this one. You drop you out and you call you. Like you could mix mix and match during the game what you need. If you need a push, if you need, you know, if you're going to cut if cut ice time down the, the pairing, you don't have to cut Chikrin's ice time. You could cut down, you know, someone else's. So I, I think he does a lot for you there, adds value, not in the long and short term, to be honest with you. And I think it adds value because if you trade Milster, you can get Krebs in here, who has been on 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 the bench, uh, healthy scratch, and I think that could also improve your forward group at the time, in the short term at least. And then we'll right. see long term what happens if, if Krebs takes the role. But I think, again, I, I think that's just this kind of slam dunk move if I'm if I'm Kevin Adams. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm looking at this article by Fansider right now. I did a little bit of research when I saw we were going to be talking about him, right? Because, you know, not the biggest hockey guy. We're on the football side of things for me, right? But I, I don't know this. this uh, Who wrote this? Let's see. Sion Fox. That's his name. Sion Fox, right? I, I, if, sorry if I'm butchering that. But he proposes that the Sabres get, you know, how Chai Kirchin. How, how do you say his last name? Chikrin. Chikrin. In a 2023 mid-round pick, right? That's what we receive. But to get that, we would trade Peyton Krebs, 2023 first-round pick, and Jacob Bryson. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Because I, I don't know if I would want to trade Krebs because he has been riding the bench quite a bit. He's been a healthy scratch. Kind of want to see how he fits a little bit, you know, and maybe maybe see it. I don't know. I feel like we haven't tried him out that much. You know what I mean? Um, I would still do it because I don't think Peyton Krebs is going to stop me from getting a top four. No. Right. If I'm going to be completely frank with you, yeah. Um, but no, I think I would try and push, push middle stat. Uh, I think I would try and push a middle stat and a four different four pro- prospect than Krebs, someone maybe a little bit further away from the NHL level. Um, just because I, I Krebs is right here and you can step in immediately and play for middle stat if you trade him, and you and then you get to finally you know. Uh, uh, you know, get a good assessment of what he actually is. Yeah. Um. So I, I would push that more than the trade that they're suggesting. But listen, if if that trade is on the offer for if that trade is offered to Kevin Adams, he should be currently trying to find an apartment for Jacob Trippin right now. Then I mean, I'm yeah. serious. Like they should be putting uh, him up. Yeah, putting him up by KeyBank right now because Bryson's a no, not nobody, but Bryson's a third pair defenseman at best. You're trading Krebs, who even I—I I mean, I think he's getting, you know, a little, you know, mismanaged. Isn't mm-hmm. like he's played with the house on fire, even when he's had the opportunities. Uh, and then the—I mean, the protected twenty-three first could easily become just a twenty-four first. And I think a Sabers first-round pick has a lot of value um, because of the yeah. Sabers and they've sucked for so long. So, yeah, I, I think that's. That's where I'm at. Um, because I think an interesting conversation that has to be had is if you can have one more big move, do you make the move for a top six forward or do you make the top then the move for the top four defenseman? You know uh, what I mean? And I yeah, think that is I, interesting. And I think you know, I would say most people would be interested in the top four defenseman over the top six forward based off the progression of Quinn Paterka and even cousins for that matter of those guys have really have impressed so much in yeah. the short term. You're just excited for the long term with them. And also you have guys coming up soon, you know, with Yuri Kulich, with Matt Savoy. 
you know, there's not really a huge need to, you know, add a top six. I think they need to add another center, but I don't think he needs to, he could be like a third line center. You know what I mean? Kind of that kind of thing. Right. I don't think they, I don't think they need to make a financial and, or, you know, trade commitment to a, another top six forward. I do think defensively, they don't really have another guy in their, you know, prospect pool other than Ryan Johnson, but Ryan Johnson may or may not sign. Yeah. He's a he question does, mark. Even if he does sign, it's, you don't know how big of a role can he really handle. So I would say the defenseman would probably be the bigger, um, you know, the impact both short and long-term and then the trickle down effect of who you might get rid of in the trade might also help your team in the short end and long-term. So I, I think that would be it. I mean, I think the concern for right now for the Sabres is just focusing on the development of these players. Right. But also understanding that I think you have an obligation to the young guys to reward them for their hard work and, you know, understanding that, yeah, this is an evaluation season, but just because it's an evaluation season doesn't mean you have to have your evaluations done by the end of the season. You could have them done right now. I yeah. don't think, you know I mean, I think there's, there's plenty of games of data to show who should be out and, and who works and who doesn't that kind of a deal. Yeah. Yeah. And who needs to be moved. And at this point, it's just going to come down to the Sabres, um, you know, making, making those moves. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting, obviously. Yeah. Obviously then with, you know, Matt Savoy struggling a little bit in in, in the WHL. You know, numbers a little bit down. Mm-hmm. A little concerned, but I, I think he'll bounce back. Um, I I, so. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of just he's got a he's got a you got to get a bigger sample size. Players have their ups and downs, especially he's he's on the younger side. You know what I mean? So it's like I feel like you got to give him a little more time to you know you got to let you got to let the chicken marinate for a little bit before you just throw it on the grill. You know, so I, I feel like we got to give him a little more watch time and just see see how it goes from here because. If if it's like, you know, a few months or next season and we're starting to see this this as a pattern, like it's happening still, that might be where the red flag starts coming up a little bit, in my opinion. But right now, I feel like it's kind of there's a hockey players aren't going to be rushed to the NHL. You know what I mean? Like, that's just not how it's going to happen. He's he's got time. He's got time to work on himself and work on what he's going to do and work his way up. So I I, I don't know if it's like a red flag at this point. It's like, no, it's, it's something to be looked at. Yeah. Um, but Sam Reinhart, after he got drafted second overall by the Sabres, had a didn't have the draft year the next year after his draft. He didn't have as good year as the year before. But right, man, I don't I don't think there's anything to be concerned of right now. I mean, Coolidge is playing very well mm-hmm. for a guy you know draft year plus one. So the first year after your draft, you're in the AHL to have a point six seven point points per game is very solid. One of the best. I think that's top ten in that category. Um, so. Again, he's played solid. I think you have other guys that have played really solid too. Austin's played pretty well. Rosine's yeah. really finally in the ice time uh, at the AHL level that he wasn't getting in Sweden. So overall, I think it's pretty solid. But I think it does beg to ask the question of who is the Sabres' best prospect. And I think a lot of people w- would say going into the year it's Owen Power. Obviously, right. I would say he's graduated. I wouldn't call him a prospect at this point, would you? No, I think he's done. I think Paderka and Quinn, I think they're just going to be on challenge at this point, in my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, So then it just comes down to, like, who... I mean, they had a really good prospect pool with those guys. I think they still have a good one without those guys. Yeah. It now becomes crowning who's number one. And I think people going into the year might have said Matt Savoy. 
And yeah, I think I'm, with I'm his struggles, I think he's still two. I think he's had a. I think Coolidge should probably be three, but I think the clear number one is the goaltender that plays for Northeastern, Devin Levi. Yeah, yeah, I know. We've talked. We talked about him last week on uh, what the Sabers need to do, and it's either go for a goalie or wait for him. And I think they're wait. They're waiting on him, and there's no question that he's going to be a major difference maker if he comes here to play, which I'm hoping he he still will. So. Uh, you know, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I, I, I really, no, he's going to sign here. There's no, yeah. there's no reason for him not to sign here. He'll sign here after the end of the year. And yeah, he, he had a press conference and he said he was, he was looking forward to it. And he met with all the guys on the Sabres and it was something he was looking forward to. So, I mean, granted, take that stuff with a grain of salt, but I mean, I, I personally, I, that, that to me is going to be the chef's kiss, the cherry on top for this team. We're going to finally have some elite goaltending and be able to, not have UPL in there and blow a two two goal lead and go into overtime and lose a game. You know what I mean? I, I think that's the biggest thing at this point because with a better goaltender, you could really work around a lot of that stuff, like with the defenseman and that that gaping black hole of a third line we have. You know what I mean? Like you could you can work around that with a better with but with a better goalie. You don't have to worry about it as much. You know what I mean? But I don't know. That's what I'm looking forward to. He's the number one. Yeah, I think the Sabres just got to improve a couple spots on the roster, and those guys aren't, you know, they add another defense, you know, high-quality defenseman. I think the other spots that they need to upgrade are pretty easy solutions to find. Um, So, and then with goaltender, if they're going to wait for Levi, if they're going to wait for Levi, but I still think they need to upgrade that in the short term as well. Yeah. Um, Especially if Anderson probably retiring, UPL, you know, we'll see what he does in this time, and Comrie being banged up and kind of just a career backup. I think they still need to... Improve the goaltending for the for the time being. But yeah. the last bit of news before we go into our predictions, uh, Riley Sheehan's contract was terminated. Obviously, he did not want to go back to Rochester. No. Um, I don't know what he expected. I think he expected to potentially want a job um, for the know. season. Obviously, he got hurt, came back, ran to Rochester. His wife complained, came back up for one game, sucked. Uh, was healthily scratched the rest of the time. Now back to Rochester, and now he wants his contract terminated. So, good luck to him the rest of the way. But well, whatever, man. Yeah, you're you're yeah. a whatever player. See, uh, wouldn't want to be a uh, smelly. Uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I... we don't need you. So it's a, <laughs> we don't need you ruin the vibes. Um, no, so, no. So let's go into predictions. So last wait, week, wait a second. What about the goat heads, Dom? No, oh, I forgot about the goat heads. The, the return of the black and red. Come on, the yeah. '90s night. They won in spectacular fashion against the Blues too. It was I I the reverse retro I was excited for. This I was looking for, like waiting for. I remember we talked about this before they even announced it last year on the podcast, didn't we? It's been rumored for years that they would return. Yeah, yeah, and you were right. They didn't change Sabretooth's colors. No, but they did, he did go down from the from the rafters. So he did. He that did. Was a cool sight. I was at the game. It was an electric atmosphere. The the jerseys are awesome. I still would say the Royal Blues are probably their best jersey, but yeah, this instantly becomes a top five third jersey in the entire NHL. And I don't think they ever need to change their jersey again, though, because now you've got this third option that's like oh. perfect. You know, I think I think if you have your you know your standard Royal Blue and White, mm-hmm. your whatever your reverse retro is for the year, and that this becoming your third jersey, I think it's a perfect fit. Yeah, yeah, no, and it. It, it makes all people from everywhere excited. Some, you know what I mean? Like to watch a game where they're, where they're old Ryan Miller gear, you know, with the, the red Jersey and everything. It's just, it's really Nostalgia. cool. 
nostalgic. Yeah, exactly. We're one of the we're probably one of the best eras, if not the best eras in uh in Sabres hockey. So yeah, yeah, it, it was it was fun to see and excited good that they see. got a win during it too. I mean, that was even better. So yeah, and dominating one too. So yeah, it it was definitely it was definitely sick. It yeah, was definitely cool. First no, time. Sorry to cut off the predictions. No, just, no, I, no, I realized we skipped the goat heads. I'm first, like, no way. First time. I mean, it was, first, it was good to get a win. First time since May of '06 winning those jerseys. So yeah. Been, nice. been, a, been a long time. So now going to the predictions. Yeah. So obviously Mike is not here. He went 0 for 2. He picked Tage and Darlene. Mm-hmm. Joe, you picked Tage and Tuck. And I picked Skinner and Cousins. So I got a point technically because it's Jeff Skinner. Skinner led the team with five goals and had the most points of eight. Obviously, he had a big five-point game against Montreal. Yeah. And had another two-goal game against St. Louis. And then had the goal um, yesterday against Tampa Bay. So could say he was he was steaming. The, the, he was, he was, the ice was melting under his feet these past couple of games. He was he's really earning that nine million dollar contract, you know. So another, another big week for for the skins. Um, so I'm trying to think how many games they have. They play tomorrow against Detroit. Mm-hmm. They play December first at home against Colorado. Sunday. Oh, they have three games. Sunday at home against San Jose. So they have one on the road in Detroit, two at home against Colorado and San Jose. So they got three games. Okay. So let, let's get let's get a player prediction first, and then we'll do our team team record. So hit me. All right, I'll go Skinner. Skinner goals again. I think he's gonna. The ice is still gonna melt under his feet. And I'll go Tuck for the points. Actually, I'll go Tage for the points. Sorry. I'll I'll go Quinn Power. I think I think oh. we're gonna have a youth movement the three games. All right, and all right. I'll I'll go for the team record. I'm gonna say they go two and one. Yeah, I, I would agree. They beat two and Detroit, one. and I think they beat San Jose, but they fall to the Avs. Yeah, I don't think they beat the Avalanche. I'll go two and one as well. Well, I mean, we'll 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 get Mike's stuff to have. We'll bring it up next next time we do this with him. But uh, so I have Skinner and Tage, and Dom, you have Quinn and. OP and Owen Power. So that my question. My question is this: Before we, I, I'm going to cut you off now. Oh, okay. All right. Who would you get in the, with the go ahead right now? Oh, I'd get Tage. Tage. Honestly, I'd get Tage because of the contract longevity at this point. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he's no, here. he's going to be here long term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not like a jersey like you're going to get. Like, say, like, I know last year no one in their right mind would do this. Like, John Hayden, like, he was gone this year. Like, that was such a – that would be a waste of money, you know. But, like, it's – with Tage, you know he's going to be around for that set amount of time. And probably longer if he keeps playing like this. So, you know. No, nah, I think I would probably do on power. OP. Yeah. Just, yeah. The, the nickname of OP is just funny to me. Speaking <laughs> of nicknames, for next podcast, we got – we got, we have a week – I'm giving us a week deadline. We had to think of a good nickname that they're still together for the Paterka Cousins Quinn line. All right, all right. Deadline. Uh, I'm, week. I'm putting you. I'm putting you a week's on notice. All right, sounds good. Yeah, well, well it, if any listener out there's got a good idea too, I mean, leave us a message on the the anchor website. No, no question. We'll get. We'll play that on the show, and and we'll we'll uh, give our breakdown, and you'll hear our our nicknames next week. Dom, great idea. That is going to do it for our Buffalo Sabres topic for this episode of the podcast. But before we move on to the Would You Rather, this episode of the Buffalo Odeon podcast is brought to you by the Cast Source Podcast Network, a podcast network built with and for entrepreneurs. We cover many genres, including sports, business, mental health, marketing, and entertainment. We feature the podcast shows such as Sports Bring People Together, Limitless, Savers of the Metaverse, and The Athletic Mindset. Learn more at castsource.com slash podcast. And Dom, I've got the Would You Rather this week. 
So let me let me let me pull it up real fast. It's a little little more lighthearted, not as statistically driven like uh, like the past couple have been. But here it is. Would you rather your team lose it on the very final play of the Super Bowl, like Russell Wilson lost the game, right? Throwing okay. that red that throwing that interception in the goal line. Would you rather an interception in the end zone, like I said, or a missed field goal like wide right, like the Bills? Like what what going into a game, if you had to lose, would you be on like would you rather the kicker miss the goal? Or would you rather your team just absolutely flub up for a red zone interception? Like what would leaving the stadium make the hurt feel less? Because you know the hurt's gonna be bad either way. It's a Super Bowl loss in the last minute of the game. So uh oh Joe, geez. Um oh, it's a little morbid. It's a little morbid. It kind of hits home home for the Bills in the 90s. So I would say the missed field goal. I think yeah. losing by interception, because I think if I don't know if Josh did that. I think he could clowned on. So yeah. I, think I, I wouldn't be able to deal with that. I mean, if Bass missed a field goal, I think I could. You could deal with it. Not, I don't know if deal if it's the proper <laughs> word. Um, no, no, but Scott Norwood would live deal through it. Deal if it's slightly more than I would if Josh do a game losing end. Yeah. No, I would definitely agree. If we had the opportunity and we were kicking for three points to to take the game and win, I'd rather you know have it go wide right than Josh throw a game-losing interception. I just feel like... Mentally, you can come back from a missed field goal, but I mean, I feel like Josh throwing an interception on the the goal line that that like Russell that would, like, Wilson mess up, that would mess up his psyche and the whole team. So, I mean, yeah. like, I think at least you could come back from a missed field goal as a team if your quarterback throws a game losing interception. They right. Well, I mean, you saw that for three more. They years never got back. So yeah, got back. Bills did three straight years. Yeah, get the job. They got back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. I don't know. Just I took the would you rather in a little different direction this week, but yeah, you know, real, real morbid one. Real, real morbid. Yeah, but without Mike here, Dom, I think it's I think it's your time to do trivia. So it is my time to do trivia. Hit, hit backup, me with some questions, buddy. The backup is in. Um, the backup, so the pinch hitter. Question one. Bill's mm-hmm. question. Okay. We saw our boy Jerry Hughes lose it on Sunday, kicking over a Gatorade jug in Miami as his Houston Texans were getting absolutely rocked by the Miami Dolphins. Mm-hmm. My question is this. Where does Jerry Hughes rank on the Bills' all-time sack list? Hmm. <laughs> I gotta remember that because I gotta think back now because he was he was a penalty magnet, but he was uber aggressive when he was younger on the team. I'd say seventh. No, give one more guess. Was I close or no? You're pretty close. Was it top ten? No, that would give it away. Don't tell me that. Ten. He's fourth. Oh wow, he was higher than I thought. Fifty-three okay. career sacks, behind only Hanson, Aaron Schobel, and Bruce Smith. Fourth mm. all time. Not bad for Jerry. Question Hughes Junior. Yeah, come on, can't forget that. Mm-hmm. Question two: Who was the leading? Uh, actually, this is the Sabres question. Yeah. Who is the leading point scorer on the Sabres when they last made the playoffs? Oh God. <laughs> the early 2010 Sabers. Early 2010 Sabers. Hmm. Yeah, I got nothing, man. I got nothing. Can't name one. No, I the last the early 2010 Sabers. I played NHL 12. That was How about it. this. How about this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is gonna be really embarrassing. Okay, if I give you his initials, do you think you'd be able to answer it? 
Maybe. TV. Mm-mm. Oh, wait. Uh, no, I don't know. I'm not confident enough. Thomas Vanek. Thomas Vanek. Oh, God. That's what was... 32 uh, goals and 73 points in 80 games was actually 21 points more than the next closest player, which was a tie between Drew Stafford and Mike's boy, Jason Pominville. Jason Pominville. I honestly, I was, you said TV and Thomas Vanek popped in my mind. I just wasn't confident enough to, to lay that down as the final answer. So, all right. Question number three, kind of a, a more of a world question. Obviously, today with the USA beating Iran 1 0. <laughs> Um, to advance the knockout stages in the World Cup. First time since 2014, USA have advanced the knockout stages. I've seen 2018, they did not qualify for the World Cup. Question is this Who did the USA face in the round of 16 in 2014? Mm. I'm trying to think. Was it, I'm going to just shoot in the dark here. Okay. Fishing in the dark like Tage Thompson. All right. Argentina. No. No. I'll give you a hint. Mm-hmm. They lost. Already this year? No, they lost in that game. The, oh, they oh. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll give you an actual hint. Not in that continent. Okay. It's a country down that continent. Is it? Hmm. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. Was it? I have no idea. I, I don't follow soccer. I, I would not. Have, Mike might have gotten that question. Name a European country. How about that? I'll give you Germany. La- La- no, they were in Germany's group. They lost to Belgium 2-1 in extra time. Uh, that's tough. See, I, I wish I followed the World Cup more, honestly. The last time I, I really. Still, still, still have an opportunity, too. I still do. I could I could finish it out, but I mean, the most soccer experience I have is playing for the Tim Hortons Timbits when I was a kid, you know, and then uh, slide ta- getting penalty cards left and right and slide tackling in FIFA 15, playing against my brother. So I mean that that's that's the extent of my my World Cup and FIFA knowledge. But oh, miss Mike on the trivia. He would have got he would have been able to get that soccer one. I feel like I feel like he follows it. So you know, being a soccer guy and everything. But without further ado. That's going to end this episode of the Buffalonian Podcast. I'm Joe Kelly, and I, today I was joined by Dom Loss. And Dom, how do you always end these, pal? Go Bills, baby. Go Bills.